Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, August 6, 2012. Today we are reading from the big book. We are in the doctor's opinion, XXIX, the last paragraph. I do not hold with those who believe. Today's readers are Susan from Florida on the 12 Steps, Irini, 12 Traditions. Our readers, Penny, Carol, Judy, and Fran, and I thank you very much. The share code for yesterday's special edition meeting on the Traditions, 2812. Again, the share code for yesterday's meeting on the Traditions, 2812. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively, and there are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine, we take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Susan S. to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Leah. This is Susan in Florida, compulsive overeating. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons who had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people as a possible, except them to do so injure them or others. Ten, continued to personal inventory and when we wrong, promptly admitted. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the time we carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive beliefs and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Yes. Thank you. I will now call on Irini to read the Twelve Traditions. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Least problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, 
declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation for all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irini. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We are in the doctor's opinion, page XXIX, last paragraph, I do not hold... And our readers for today, Penny, Carol, Judy, and Fran. Good morning, Penny. Good morning. Thank you, Leah. I'm Penny, a recovered compulsive overeater. Penny E. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I've had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. I'll pass. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone care to share on what was read? This is Janice. Please go ahead, Janice. Thank you. Thank you so much, Leah. My name is Janice. I am a compulsive overeater recovered today. Thank you, God. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. So Dr. Silkworth is going to give us some really good information here in the doctor's opinion today. You know, we have been studying this idea that we have a twofold disease, that it is not only it is not only a physiological craving that develops, but it's coupled with this mental obsession. So he's telling us, I do not hold that those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. And I know that has been true for me. That has been true for me. You know, if it were only the idea that once I picked up that first bite, once I picked up that first bite, that phenomenon of craving always, always, always developed. Always developed. I could not eat just one, not one, what, not one item but then it grew to be not one bag, not one box, not one carton. You know, it always lead to that idea that I had to have more, that physiological craving in me that said I had to have more. 
So what he's saying here is no matter how great the desire or the wish, I would pick up again. You know, here he's talking about some men who had a great business deal going. They'd been working on it for a period of time, looking forward to it. All, all systems go. All green lights ahead. This is going to be a success. But somehow, a day or so prior to the date of this whole wonderful thing unfolding, they would pick up. They would pick up. And then what would happen? That phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to everything else. Everything else. So that they couldn't follow through with that important date that was in front of them. You know, they could not overcome that craving with mental control. You know, it's here it is once again. Here it is once again, Janet. That idea, that mental obsession that would say, this time it'll be different. This time I'm going to have one to celebrate because things are going so well. It didn't always have to be that things were going so horribly. And I really believe that this information was paramount for me. Paramount for me. To know this about myself. This twofold disease, this double-edged sword. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else on what was read? Hi, this is Kim. Please go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And this is so critical. You know, we have to understand what the word craving means in the context of the doctor's opinion, in the context of being a compulsive overeater. You know, my father who's a normal eater. You know, when he goes to visit, you know, let's say Aunt Sally, he might say, oh, well, I'm going to go to see Aunt Sally. I'm really craving this apple pie that she makes. And, he's, you know, he has it once a year when he visits Aunt Sally. That's a normal definition of craving. But what a craving means within the context of the doctor's opinion, within the context of being a compulsive overeater, is explained here. You know, that, that for a period of months, things were going well. So it means they're not drinking, that we're abstinent, that we're not triggering that phenomenon of craving. And things are going to happen well. I mean, how many often do we use that idea of, oh, I'm an emotional eater, and when I'm emotional, I have to eat? Well, things are going their way. They took a drink or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests. So as a compulsive overeater, the only time I I experience that craving is after I pick up the food. After I pick up the food, I have that allergic reaction which manifests itself in a craving. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. And to me, it's almost like, you know, let's say someone has an allergy to strawberries, and when they eat strawberries, they break out in a rash. So it's almost like I'm saying, well, I want you to eat that strawberry. And after they eat it, say, don't you dare break out in a rash. Don't you dare. They can't help it. That's the reaction they get from strawberries. My reaction to my binge food is I have that phenomenon of craving. And to think that I can ingest my binge foods because I'm at goal weight, because it's a special occasion, because I'm standing up, because it's been six months, and to think I'm not going to have the, the reaction is just insane. You know, and that's what we have to understand. That phenomenon of craving is the same as someone who breaks out in a rash after strawberries. And if we think that we can control that, then we're sadly mistaken. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I wanted to focus here on this statement. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests. Again, this book is penned from experience. This is actually Bill Wilson's experience. Bill Wilson had an opportunity, a great, great business opportunity. And uh, he was gathered together with the other uh, businessmen, and and they were having a drink, and they were passing the bottle around, and uh, Bill was sober, and they hadn't yet signed on the dotted line, and the bottle came around, and he said, no, thank you, I don't drink. The bottle came around a second time, and 
you know, Bill's an alcoholic. He started thinking, you know, he's never had that type of alcohol before, you know. Bottle goes around again, and, uh, you know, gosh, I've never had this type of alcohol before. I know I got this business deal, uh, but let me just take a sip. You know, well, you know, they took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests. That exactly describes my twofold disease, the twofold disease, allergy of the body, meaning that there are sub- certain substances that, when ingested, trigger that phenomenon of craving. Now, the phenomenon of craving that is triggered by alcohol in the alcoholic, right? The only way an alcoholic can crave alcohol is to first put it in his system, then the phenomenon of craving develops, and then he can't stop, and he ends up drunk and sick. But let's look. They took a drink, meaning that it happens that we are the ones that make a decision. That's the obsession of the mind. The obsession of the mind, just before we take that first drink, we are stone cold sober. Just before Bill took that first drink, he was stone cold sober. No alcohol in his system whatsoever. So the real problem centers in our mind telling us it's okay to take that first drink, or in our case, that first bite, rather than in our body that ensures that we can't. So we take a drink. We, you and I take a bite based on a lie, and then the allergy takes over, and we end up binging our brains out. So our real problem is not in our body. Yes, we have an allergy of the body. That's true. But the real problem The greater aspect of our disease is not in our body, which ensures that we can't eat certain substances, but in our mind that ensures left to our own resources, we're going to try to beat the obsession over and over and over again. That's allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. With that, I pass. Anyone else on this paragraph? It's Monica. Monica, please go ahead. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. In the very first sentence of this paragraph, I wanted to just hone in on that a little bit. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. Again, here a little review. We are reading this letter from Dr. Silkworth that was written back in the 1930s. And he is saying here, I believe... It's not entirely a problem of mental control because it's been said before. Before this time, it was felt that alcoholism was a moral issue. You know, you were a sinner. You were weak. Uh, you didn't. You weren't using any willpower. You could, if you, you know, just put a little willpower. That it was in your head. It was something you had, could do. You can control. And he's again saying, "I don't agree with that." And he goes on in this paragraph to tell us what what happens when an alcoholic takes an a drink or a compulsive overeater takes some binge food into their mouth when they haven't had it for a while they're going to develop this phenomenon of craving and phenomenon is an experience of fact craving intensely wanting you know, I can very re- I can relate to that. You know, the experience, the fact of intensely wanting something. You know, you put that binge food in your mouth, and you want, you want, you don't care about anything else, but putting that food in your mouth. That's the phenomenon of craving, and it becomes paramount, primary, foremost, supreme, paramount to all other interests. You know, I don't care. I want this right now. I know I'm going to hate myself later. I want this now. This is that phenomenon of craving and the allergy of the body. When you put that binge food into your mouth, this is what is going to happen because we are not um, normal when it comes to our binge foods. You know, normal people don't ever have this experience, this phenomenon of craving. But we have a disease and we do. And there's a way out, and I will pass. Thank you, Monica. Anybody else on this paragraph? Yeah, hi, hi this is Rick. Janet. Janet, and then Rick. Okay. 
Hi, my name is Janet from northern New Jersey. I'm recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia. Um, so this is really helpful and about the whole allergy part. And what helps me is to think of it in terms of a cat allergy, which I really do have. I'm definitely allergic to cats. If I go near cats, I can't breathe. So I'm scrupulous about staying away from cats. Um, if someone invites me to their house, I say, do you have a cat? Because if you do, I can't come. So then I think, what? So my defense against a cat-induced asthma attack is, you know, cat-induced allergy terrible reaction is my memory, is I remember what it's like to not breathe, and it's awful. So I do not go near cats. And so, but I think, what if I had a defect in my brain that made me think, this time will be different. This time I can go into a pet store for five minutes and be okay. This time I, you know, I have a fight with my husband or my boss or whatever, so I can pet a little cute little cat and get away with it. And people would say I was crazy, um, and I would be. So my defense against that cat-induced allergy attack is my memory. Um, that's my defense. And in the big book, it tells me that my defense against um, – that my defense against the first drink, or for me the first binge, was my memory. Because once I had the first bite, the craving developed and I couldn't stop. So what would, and for years I would say, well, how do I stop taking that first compulsive bite? And what I learned was that my, I didn't have a defense mechanism because my memory was broken. When it came to that, the part about remembering how awful it was and the craving that started my memory just didn't work the way it did about um, cats. And there was nothing I could do to just make my memory work on my own willpower. And it talks about that that's the insanity of this illness. On page 24, it defines it. And I get great comfort now because um, then in flipping to page 84, right after it um, talks about going through the steps, by the time a person's through a ninth step, it says, by this time, sanity will have returned, and it defines sanity. Um, it breaks it down into two parts. It says, first, we'll seldom be interested in liquor. To me, that, that was unbelievable. My craving for food not on my food plan would go away. And then the second part of sanity was, if tempted, we recoil as if from a hot flame. So it's like kitty cat, asthma attack food not on my food plan leads to compulsive eating. Um, so that the return of sanity, the ability to think it through, is a gift that we receive from God as a result of working these 12 steps. Um, and it promises after the ninth step, I lived my first six and a half years in OA, binging, having that craving, being unable to stop. And I have to say, I work these steps um, I first went through the steps over 20 years ago, and, you know, by and large, like 98% of the time, the craving is gone, and when it does appear, I have the tools, the steps to deal with it, um, that the craving is nothing I could fight on my own willpower, but just came as a result of um, working these steps and accessing divine grace. Thanks. Thank you. Was that Rick that I heard? Thanks, Leah. It's, my name is Rick. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I'd like to look at that first sentence, too. Uh, alcoholism is not entirely a problem of mental control. Well, what the doctor is referring to, remember, he's a psychiatrist, and he's referring to the paragraph before that where he wrote, though the aggregate of recoveries resulting from psychiatric effort is considerable, we admit we have made little impression. He's a psychiatrist. His, his profession was working with mental illness. And he's, he's referring back to what he said, that they had made some progress. There were people that recovered uh, with his psychiatric work. But he's adding another layer He's, he's about to introduce that phenomenon of craving, that allergy of the body. So he's taking his line of work 
his medical training and he's adding something else to it. So he's illustrating how um, psychiatric work was not alone enough to solve this problem. And he's laying the groundwork to the rest of the story, how uh, these alcoholics were able to solve their problem. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Anyone else? Okay, then, we will move on to the next paragraph with Carol, please. Good morning, Carol, compulsive overeater. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than to continue to fight. And uh, the supreme sacrifice, um, that was death. Time after time, I tried to lose weight. I tried to control the food. I didn't know I had an allergy of the body, an obsession of the mind. It was definitely driving me crazy. And every time I would start and every time I would fail, I was just progressing in my disease. Um, I was killing myself very slowly. Um, Compulsive overeating, suicide on the layaway plan, Um, the walking dead. I was stuck in a body and just a slave to food. I was so beat down, and I just thought I was weak. I didn't know about the twofold condition. I didn't care if I lived or died. Um, And I was just so tired of trying and failing on my own. I had no fight left in me when I got here. Um, You know, insanity was just insanity, madness. Um, And when I read this, when I really got a grip on this doctor's opinion, it just made all the difference. I wasn't hearing that in the rooms of OA, and I'm just so grateful for that, and uh, you know that I know what my problem is, and you know found out what my solution was. So, thank you. I pass. Thank you, Carol. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? I'd like to comment. Please go ahead. This is Judith. I'm a compulsive overeater from Vermont. Um, I just keep remembering the. it just goes over and over in my mind when I was a kid hearing the phrase, she drove him to drink. And as if somebody's wife was the cause of his drinking. And that just showed the misunderstanding that we all, that the whole society had because we didn't understand the phenomenon of craving. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Judith. Anyone else? This is Janice. Janice, please go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Leah. This one sentence, this one sentence that stands alone, there are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. You know, once again, we are approached with this idea that the phenomenon of craving is totally beyond our control, beyond our physiological control and beyond our mental control. Now, wouldn't you think as bad as it got, as bad as it got, that somehow I would be able to avoid picking up that first bite, stone cold sober, as we were just talking about, that somehow I would not do it again. That as bad as it got, standing there crying out, asking for help, oh, help me, help me, I don't want to do this, that I would do it again, that I would do it again. You know, those situations that arise out of that phenomenon of craving were horrendous, horrific. Bad, bad, bad. But I could not stop myself. Could not stop myself and could not stop myself from starting again. Death or insanity. Death or insanity. No fight left in me. You know, that supreme sacrifice meant that I would do it again and again and again. No matter how great the desire or the wish. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. 
Anyone else on what was read? Yes, there are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than to continue to fight. Yeah, we're dealing with a disease that's cunning, baffling, and powerful. Uh, we've been talking about insanity. Um, you know, if you if you burn your hand badly on a hot stove, chances are you're always going to remember that. You know, I, I certainly remember when I singe myself on the flame on my stovetop. You know, chances are I'm never going to deliberately put my hand on that hot stove because I'm going to remember the pain and suffering. Uh, but with the allergy of the body, this phenomenon of craving, which intensifies, never satisfies, and the obsession of the mind, that lack of sanity, the lack of the ability for me to see the truth, that's the big problem with the obsession of the mind, is that it keeps me from seeing the truth. It forces out all thoughts to the contrary, and it it makes it impossible for someone like me to see things the way they are. Instead of the truth, I want to believe a lie. And worse than that, I take action on that lie. I make a decision that someday, somehow, I'm going to control, I'm going to limit, I'm going to enjoy my binge foods, and then I can eat like a normal person. You know, And any notion that I have that I'm like a non-compulsive overeater or someday I'll become like a uh, a normal person, that has to be destroyed. Because if I believe a lie, I am suffering from insanity. And that's exactly what led people to take their life. Is that craziness? I mean, can you imagine if I spent most of my time deliberately sticking my fingers into a flame because I enjoyed the, the, the melting of my flesh, the mangling of my flesh? And that's exactly what happens with our disease, cunning, baffling, and powerful, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. Anyone else on this paragraph before we move on? Hi, this is yes, Kim. This is Amy. Kim and then Amy. Good morning, everyone, and this is Kim. Um, you know, I'm just flooded with these, these ideas and the supreme sacrifice. You know, when I was in my 20s in the height of my disease, I wasn't afraid to die. I was afraid to have to live like I was living. You know, and I think about, you know, stories I've read in the papers and personal experiences I've had with people in this disease. You know, people who have diabetes, that the doctor's telling them, well, I'm really sorry, ma'am, but I'm going to have to cut your foot off, if you, you know, and people will continue to eat. You know, when you go into a hospital, they have these big boy beds for people that are obese, and they always are running out of them because America keeps getting larger and larger. You know, there was an there was an article um, in the Philadelphia newspaper a couple of years ago where a woman needed an X-ray and she had to go to the Philadelphia Zoo in order to get the X-ray because she was too big for any machines. You know, there was there was something in the in the paper this summer about a girl in England that had an emergency and she was over 800 pounds and they had to cut out the the wall because she they couldn't get her through the doors. So they actually had to cut out the wall of her house to get her to the emergency room. You know, what we do to ourselves and we keep choosing to go back to the food, no matter how embarrassing, no matter how frightening, no matter how much that sacrifice is, I'll sacrifice a leg if I can keep having my binge food. You know, I'll sacrifice my, my pride if I can keep having my binge food. You know, supreme sacrifice means, you know, uh, suicide, but what we do to ourselves while we're still living and the, the lack of quality of life that we have, and we're more than willing to have that lack of quality of life if only we can have our food. That is that is the insanity and the depth and the and the weight of, of how powerful this disease is. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Amy. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater. If it's one thing, I believe these last couple of paragraphs are making very clear when they describe the mental obsession and the phenomenon of craving is that we cannot fight this disease with our minds. We can't fight our minds with our minds. This disease is so cunning and baffling. The mental obsession brings us to the food, and the craving keeps us there once we get that phenomenon of craving, once we take that bite and we trigger the phenomenon of craving. craving. Well, it leads us to the gates of insanity or death. 
and all the things that we have been mentioning. You know, it says here on page 25, if you are a seriously alcoholic or compulsive overeater, as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We're in a position where life is becoming impossible, and we passed into the region from which there was no return from human aid. We had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other was to accept spiritual help. Well, when we are compulsive overeaters, or I should say I am a compulsive overeater as I was, there was no middle-of-the-road solution. I was beyond human aid. I couldn't fight my mind with my mind. I couldn't reason because I was listening to the insanity of the mental obsession and then triggering the phenomenon of craving every time I put that binge food in my mouth. I was beyond human aid, and I needed help outside of myself. Lack of power, that was my dilemma. I needed a power greater than myself which comes through the grace of God in this program, the spiritual help that comes through this program, the power greater than my disease that comes from this program and working the 12 steps. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. We'll now move on to the next paragraph with Judy B., please. Uh, Good morning. This is Judy B., uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are, of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We are all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over-remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. There is the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking, He changes his brand or his environment. There is the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There is the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. And I'll I'll stop there. Um, we're going to see that there are many types of people who have a problem with alcohol, and and the same goes for problems with food. And I was definitely one of those types of persons who was unwilling to admit that I could not take a first bite of certain foods. And it says he plans various ways of drinking, He changes his brand or his environment. Um, I tried everything. I tried all kinds of things. And it took a long, long time before I realized that there are certain foods I cannot ingest without developing this um, phenomenon of craving. And then um, another sentence there where where they say... um, if you've been entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. And if I would go uh, quite a while without uh, ingesting certain foods, I would think, well, maybe now I can try it. And it took a long time for me to understand that that, that wasn't true, that um, with certain foods I developed uh, that phenomenon of craving and that the first the first bite is is the detrimental one. The first bite is what leads to disaster. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? This is Janice. Please go ahead, Janice. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne. So thank God for Dr. Silkworth this absolutely learned and experienced man who had worked with so many alcoholics in the course of his career. And he's talking to us here about all the different types of personalities, the types of mental disorders, the types of mental diseases that people have and come to this problem with. You know, come to this problem with all the different ways of thinking that people had. You know, the great emotional and mental problems that some of these people had. The inability to be honest with themselves, wherever that comes from. He's telling us all these different types. 
and all this different way of thinking that people had. And they were subject to and subject of this same disease that we have. You know, all these different ways of thinking. Maybe if I haven't had it for a long time, this time it will be different. Maybe, maybe I'm cured. Maybe I'm cured, I used to think. Maybe because I've been clean for a while, maybe I'm cured. You know, exercise plans, diets, diet groups, you know, whatever the way I was, reaching for some way, somehow to make myself different. You know, there, there's always going to be some way of thinking that I would try yet one more time, a new way of thinking, I would say. But none of it helped us. And he saw this. He saw this. Many different kinds of people, many different classifications of people. But some of them could still recover. Some of them, using this method, finding this solution, could recover. And thank God I'm one of those today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else on what was read? This is Sarah. Can I share? Of course. There is the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. This is a type of person. And what is the type of person? It's an unwillingness. In order for me to adopt to have the cure of this solution, I need to be willing to admit that I cannot take that first bite. I need to be able to admit that. And, you know, I, I used to think that there was a geographical cure, that if I'd be, you know, if I'd, if we'd move away, it's like my troubles are here, so it's I'm, I'm eating because of my problems, and my problems are here, so if I go away, my problems won't come with me. <laughs> I don't realize that, you know, I'm my biggest problem, um, and I'm wherever I go, there I am. <laughs> so um, it's a willingness. It's a willingness to admit that I, that I have this allergy of the body and, and this obsession of the mind. And then it says, um, just on the line before, there's, you know, the people who are ever remorseful with many resolutions but never a decision. So many resolutions, but it's, it's willingness to make a decision to turn my life and my will over to the care of God as I understand him. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. Anyone else? This is Christy. Please go ahead, Christy. Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And there's so much that jumps out at me. You know, I'm every single one of these people, every classification fits for me, unfortunately. Um, there are a couple of sentences that jump out at me specifically. Um, well, a couple, of, a couple of key words here. The type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink, he plans various ways of drinking, he changes his brand or his environment. And, you know, I'm the type of person that um, always looks for a solution outside of myself, you know, always looks for a solution in someone else, always looks for a solution somewhere else. And I moved from Utah to California and California to Utah and from Utah to Washington and from Washington to Michigan and from Michigan to Minnesota, where I reside now, and you know, if that sounds exhausting, if that sounds exhausting, I thought that was a lot easier than actually putting down the food. Um, it was easier to move, certainly, than put down the food. And I lived in many different places um, within those states. You know, I, I moved. I mean, I sat down once and figured how many, you know, identified how many different places I moved, hoping that I was going to start a new life. I was going to be a different person when I moved. And the problem was I took myself with me. The problem was, the problem for me was I was unwilling to admit that I could not take a drink under any circumstances. And so... You know, I spent years lamenting the fact that I um, 
you know, I didn't want to put the food down. Um, I wanted to keep eating in the same fashion I had been eating, and I did not want to suffer the consequences. That's what I didn't want. I wanted to eat with complete abandon and not suffer the consequences. And, um, you know, I spent three and a half decades, three and a half decades doing that. And, um, you know, what I do today, I mean, this is the easier, softer way. This is the easier, softer way. You know, putting down the food, putting down the food and um, eliminating that physical allergy that I have and then digging into the steps so that I can experience the spiritual awakening that enables the psychic change that allows me to grow away from the food. That has happened for me. That has happened for me. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Christy. I'm Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. Yes, uh, we're studying the doctor's opinion. And actually, the doctor's opinion is the foundation of the whole big book and and the whole fellowship because without it, uh, the entire book wouldn't make sense. And Dr. Silkworth was the first physician to fully understand and put into words what an alcoholic's problem is. Dr. Silkworth worked with over 50,000 alcoholics, high bottoms, low bottoms, lawyers, physicians, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, over 50,000 alcoholics. Certainly numerous types of classifications within that realm. However, the one thing that they had in common was this allergy of the body, this inability to take a drink of alcohol without triggering the phenomenon of craving. That allergy, an abnormal reaction to that beverage called alcohol. And there's all types of drinks out there. You walk into a bar and you could have all types of drinks served to you, but there is a common ingredient in all those drinks, and that common ingredient is alcohol. Well, with the compulsive overeaters, because you and I, gathered together as compulsive overeaters, it's a little bit more complicated. For the alcoholic, it's a simple process. One ingredient that they're all allergic to, and that's alcohol. For us, you know, there's it's a more complicated process in identifying those substances. However, however, the bottom line is, and we're going to learn more as we read more, that we are a distinct entity because we are triggered by our substances and we have that phenomenon of craving, phenomenon of craving. And we can control it. It says he plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. I, too, tried the geographical cure, but lo and behold, you know, wherever I, I, I traveled to, there I was. And those chains of compulsive overeating were too soft to be felt until they were too hard to be broken. You know, my attempt to control was an attempt to demonstrate that I was not powerless over those substances, that I had a say over how much I ate or how often I ate, uh, that I was not bodily and mentally different. But lo and behold, uh, every single time when I took that first bite, my disease had the last say. And with that, I pass. Anyone else before we move on to the next paragraph? Okay, then. We'll move on to the next paragraph with Fran, please. Good morning. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. Then there are types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. All these and many others have one common, one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief 
we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And I pass. Thank you, Fran. Who would like to comment on this paragraph? These two Hi, paragraphs. Kim. Kim, please go ahead. Good morning, this is I, I, this paragraph is just so huge. You know, that, that last line, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And I can just see the compulsory eater mind just going to the last line, suggesting entire abstinence. See, abstinence is only suggested. I don't really have to do it. I can make a choice. I can do it Monday through Friday. I can take a day off during my birthday or during a holiday. But it's saying here the only relief we have to suggest. And why is that? Because the paragraph before it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. So since they cannot figure out a way to cure this, since they can't figure out a way to make this go away, that magic pill, the only relief they have to suggest, because there are no other suggestions, is entire abstinence. And what does that mean? That means once we identify our binge foods, and as Leia explained, it's a little bit more complicated for compulsive readers, but once we identify them, we can never, ever, 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 ever have that substance again. Because the, even when we come recover, we are never cured. You know, I have an allergy to penicillin from when I was a baby. I don't even remember. I was a baby. I don't remember the reaction. I have never gone to a doctor when I was sick and said, please, God, please give me some penicillin. I'm never going in there and say, I know you want to give me this medicine, but why don't you give me two milligrams of the penicillin and the rest can give you what you want? Because maybe my threshold is three milligrams. Maybe I, I just have two milligrams of it, I, can, I will be okay. And that's the game we play. Well, maybe if I only have a little, maybe if it's all natural, maybe if it's organic. If we, once we identify those foods, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Janice, please. This is Janice. Go ahead, Janice. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, this this paragraph, so important. The foundation of the whole book rests in this information. In this information. And you know what? Without this fact, Without this fact, knowing the truth about myself, I was indeed hopeless, helpless, powerless. Without this fact. Without this fact that you and I have one symptom in common, that we cannot pick up that first bite without setting off that phenomenon of craving. It sets us apart. It sets you and I apart. And thank God we know this about ourselves today. You know, it's here to stay, this allergy of my body. It's here to stay, this phenomenon of craving that is going to be triggered every time I pick up that bite and ingest that bite. It is inevitable. It is inevitable. And I cannot run away from that first bite because I was always running towards that first bite. I was caught up in a cycle that I had no control over. But there is going to be a way out entire abstinence. But how, how, if you're anything like me, you're saying to my, yourself, how can that happen? I've tried that. I've tried that. Well, it will be coupled with the 12 steps. It will be coupled with the 12 steps. Work the steps as if my life depends on it and find that way out through the 12 steps. But I cannot do the 12 steps without this first fact that this is true for me, this is true for me, and I know that today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else? It's Irini. Irini, please go ahead. Um, Good morning. My name is Irini. I am a very grateful compulsive overeater. Um, Our wish can be granted only by God. I thank you and I pass. Thank you. Anyone else? It's Monica. Monica, your turn. 
Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. Monica, compulsive overeater again. Um, I want to go back to the classifications of alcoholics. And the last one paragraph there we just read before this very, very important one. Then there are types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They're often able, intelligent, friendly people. When I um, read uh, this classification of alcoholics with my um, sponsor, she then asked me, um, which one of these do you identify with? Or do you, can you identify with any of these or relate to any of these? And I went, yeah, sure. Uh, type's entirely normal. Never respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are able, intelligent, friendly people. You know, that was the only thing I could see at that point when I was first starting through this process. Yeah, hey, I'm friendly, I'm intelligent, you know, I've been able to do everything and anything I wanted to do, but I just got this issue with this food business here. And I was thinking here today, you know, um, this classification of alcoholics, it's important that we place ourselves somewheres in here when we are starting out, you know. We have to, step one, you know, know that we are a compulsive overeater. And I guess what I was trying to say is that um, when I first started, this is what I thought. But, you know, I wasn't being honest, and there's our disease. And today I can look at this classification of alcoholics and see that I was part of every single one in there. And um, this is part of the process of going through this, um, working the steps, is learning about yourself, is identifying. And, you know, we start somewheres. And even if though I started with just thinking I was, you know, number four um, and learned much more, you start somewheres and it grows from there. And I will pass. Thank you so much, Monica. This statement here, hi, my name is Leigh, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. Eradicated means removed, completely destroyed, or removed from existence. You know, I had to chase the tail of that dragon over and over and over again until I was pummeled enough, bloodied enough, mangled enough to realize that this disease was progressive, that this allergy of the body that I had was never, ever, 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 ever going to go away. That's it. That was my reality. That was going to be my reality, that my disease is rigid and unforgiving, that this allergy of the body, and it could be, again, with the alcoholic, it's one substance and one substance only, and that's alcohol. For me, it was numerous. And I was going to have to accept that fact, that there were going to be a number of substances that I was never going to be able to eat again safely, that I was going to have this romance come to an end. This romance with certain foods was going to have to come to an end. There's going to have to be a death there, a divorce, a separation. Because I had to accept the fact. I finally, finally, after getting beaten enough, I had to accept the fact that I could never be able to eat certain substances safely as long as I lived. That's it. I had to accept that. I had to accept it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. It was never going to be removed. That was it. There was never going to be a day where I was going to wake up and it magically wouldn't be a part of who and what I was. And I could keep trying different remedies, and I could keep trying different methods, and I could do that to the gates of death or insanity. But my reality, my name, Leah, I am a compulsive overeater, and I, I know that. I accept that to the depth of my core because I could continue to fight it for years and decades if I wanted to. But I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I had to wrap my brain around this paragraph and surrender and say, this is who and what I am. God, please help me. With that, I pass. Anybody else before we close? Okay, well, I thank you. We will, we will revisit this paragraph again tomorrow, so I encourage you to do so. Uh, comment on this tomorrow, and we're going to close now. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164. Fran, please. Good morning. This is Fran, compulsive over here. 
Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass.